backgrounds to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We're here to reach this community with a hope that's found in Jesus. That's what we're here for. That's why we exist. And uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. And if you're in church for the first time or the first time in a long time, we're really glad that you're here. And I just want to let you know something. Okay, being here this morning is going to be way better than any colonoscopy you have ever had in your life. Okay, just ask anyone that's had one. But seriously, we hope that your time here this morning will connect you to God and Jesus like he never has before. And so today we're starting a new series called Caged. And uh, the title comes from the fact that many of us feel trapped in life. Okay, we look at other people's lives and we see what they've got going on in their life and then we look at ours and we say to ourselves, why does my life suck so bad? Okay, it's falling apart. And so this morning, in order to start this, in order to introduce this all to you, I have a question for you. How many of you in the last couple of weeks have had a bad day? Is there anyone out there who's had a bad day? Yeah, I think most of us can say at some point, recently even, we've had some really bad, some really crappy, some really junky days. Or maybe you like like me and last week, I don't think there's any day last week that was a good day, except for maybe Monday, you know, had the holiday, kind of relaxing, and then it was all downhill from there, okay? I, would, I don't want to relive any of the days of last week. And so for some of you, it may have been that you'd gotten up to go to work in the morning, or you're on your way to work, and suddenly you had a flat tire on your car. And so that set your day off on a wrong tone, and it was just a bad day because you were stuck on the side of the road, or you were stranded at home trying to change a tire. Is there, how many people in here can actually change their car tire? Don't to me. Okay, we got a few people that can. I've had so many flat tires. I'm an expert at it. I can do it in 10 minutes. I'm done. I'm out of there. All right, but, uh, but, or maybe it was that you set your alarm for the wrong time and you woke up late. And when I do that, I don't know about you, but my day is in confusion if I wake up late because I feel like I'm behind all day long. Does anyone else feel that way? Okay, no? Oh, gosh. I don't know. You guys must, I'm not even going to comment on that. Okay, okay, so, or maybe your bad day involves some other sort of circumstances, like this. You know, for, for nine years, uh, Dana and the girls and I, we lived in, uh, we lived in Boston, and uh, the subway was one of the ways that you got around. Do we have any people who've ridden a subway in the room this morning? Okay, we've got a, we've got a few subway riders here. All right, well, it, it, was, it was really handy. It was really easy. We only had to have one car when we lived in Boston because you could get to so many places on the train. Dana would take the subway to work, and so, and so it, it was kind of nice financially um, to, to have that option. And, and for a lot of things, it actually made sense to take the subway. Like if you went to a Red Sox game, it made way more sense to take the subway than to drive to the baseball game. And the reason is this, it's because of parking, okay? The stadium is built in the middle of the city. And the problem is that there's just not many places to park around there. And one time, a friend called me, he, he, had, a, he had his own business, and he had clients who would give him tickets to baseball games all the time, and so he calls me, and he says, hey, got a free ticket for tonight's game, do you want to go with me? I'm like, yeah, sure, and so he's like, you know, I want to drive tonight. And I said, okay, he goes, don't worry, I'm going to pay for parking, not a big deal, and so, so I got in his car, and we drove down to the game, okay, and so we pull into this parking spot, and do you know how much they wanted for parking? $100. To park a car for three hours, and he paid it. 
But to me, writing, paying $1.25 each way, I know it's way more than that now, but back then it was $1.25. Paying $1.25 to ride the subway is much more affordable than $100 to park a car. But this is the deal. When you rode the subway to a game, getting home was always a challenge. Because here's what had happened. Everybody would head to the train station at the exact same time. And so you'd literally have thousands of people trying to get on these trains. And so what would happen is a train would pull into the station, the doors would open up, and people would just start to flow into the train. Now, they wouldn't walk downstairs, but they would flow into the train. And they'd get as many people in there as they possibly could. Then there'd be a few other people who were saying, I'm not going to miss this train. And so they'd break out a bottle of oil from their bag, dump it on their bodies, and try and wedge themselves in with everybody else, okay? And then you'd have this message, please stand clear of the doors. The doors are about to close. Well, when that message would come on, there was always some knucklehead standing on the platform who was saying to themselves, I may die if I miss this train. And so they were going to try and squeeze themselves into this train at all costs. And so they would push their way in. But what would happen is that they would end up halfway in and halfway out of the train. And then the door would close. Now, maybe back 50 years ago, this could be deadly, but nowadays they've got these safety features on them. So the door closes, you know, it hits their body, maybe it catches their backpack or their back, and, uh, and the door stops, it tries to close a little bit, and then it pops open. And then a voice will come on and say, please stand clear of the doors. Okay, and so everybody would try and figure out who was the idiot blocking the door that was delaying their trip home. And, uh, and so, you know, they'd be looking around. Somebody would eventually figure out, oh, it's me, and they'd try to squeeze in some more. Well, what would happen is sometimes there'd be just so many people on the train that no matter how hard they squeezed, they were getting trapped by the door. The door would close on them two, three, four, five times. And see, what would happen then is that the people on the train would start to get ticked off. Right? We get ticked off because we want to go. You need to get out of the way of the door. And so the thought of the people on the train was just push them out, okay, so that we can get going. But meanwhile, the people on the platform, they were just as irritated because they wanted the next train to come so they could get out of there. And so their thing was just push them in so that this train can get out of here. And so you've got this person who's standing there at a door, and they've got a door closing on them this way pressure, and they've got pressure from people thinking things this way, like push them out, and people this way thinking things push them in, and so they've got all of this stuff surrounding them. And this morning, maybe that's how you are feeling. You're in some circumstance in life where you feel trapped. You have people putting pressure on you from this direction. You have people putting pressure from you on that direction. And the only thing that you know is you're trapped. You're frustrated, you're confused, and you're ready to give up. And the thing is, you feel like no one can relate to your situation. Well, can I tell you something this morning? I believe that Jesus has a word for you today if you are in that situation. And so to get this word, we are going to turn to the book of Acts. And so if you have a Bible, you can get that out. And we're going to be in Acts. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. And so it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16. Uh, If you still don't know where it's at, don't worry. We're going to have the words on the screen behind me so that you can follow along. And uh, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, stop by Fam Connections on your way out the door. We'll put a brand new Bible in your hands so that you can take that home, so that you have a Bible, so that you can read. And so in uh, Acts chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 6 and read through verse 10 initially. We're going to read more of it, but we're going to start in, uh, in, six, uh, in 16, 6 and read through 10. And this is what it says there, starting in Acts 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia 
having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia to help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, so here's this guy named Paul. You don't know who he is, that's, that's fine, that's okay, but he's a big deal in the early church, and he's responsible for writing many of this, these letters that we have here uh, in the New Testament, and he started a lot of churches, and he's got a really shady past, just like Moses. I don't know if you remember last week, but Moses was a murderer. Well, well, Paul is no better. Actually, he was involved in multiple murders, okay? He was there at the execution of many Christians, and I heard some guy on a podcast say this week that he was responsible for the death of millions of Christians. There weren't even millions of Christians at the time, okay? So that guy was way out line, but, but he was probably responsible for hundreds, possibly thousands of deaths of Christians. But then at some point, God got a hold of his life. God came down and shook him up and, and called him and spoke to him, and he gave his life to Jesus, and he became a new person. And so when we arrive at this text, when we arrive at this section of the New Testament, he's trying to figure out what God wants him to do. God, he's like, God is saying something. God wants me to do something. And so he's, he's wandering here and he's wandering there and he's going to this place and he's going to that place just trying to figure it out. Have you ever felt like that? Or maybe even done that? You know God has something for you, but you're not sure what it is. So you wander here, you wander there, hoping something will stick. Well, for Paul, Jesus appears to him in a dream and says, hey, go to Macedonia. Now, that'd be awesome, right? Whenever we're looking for God, wouldn't it be great for God to show up in our dream and just speak to us so we know what to do? I mean, I mean that's what I would prefer. Um, this week, I was praying about something that I needed direction on, and I, I had some dreams this week, but all of them involved the song by Tesla called Love Song. And, and I don't know what that means. It didn't help me. I don't even know if anyone in here knows that song. Love is all around you. Eric. Eric always knows my songs. That's why I love having Eric here. Okay? But it didn't help me with my situation. It didn't do anything for me. It was just kind of like a cool background song to have in your dreams. But Paul, he got a clear word, and God made it clear to him where he was supposed to go. And so when you get a clear word, how could this go bad, right? Because we have this belief that if God calls us to something, that everything's going to be wonderful, everything's going to be amazing, that nothing goes wrong. And so let's look at what happens to our best friend here, Paul. So Paul and his traveling buddies arrive in Macedonia, and they head down by the river. Every time I say the words, down by the river, this is all I can think of right here. First off, I am 35 years old, I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. Do you guys remember that? That's a classic skit. Oh, my gosh. I wish I had a more contemporary cultural reference for you guys. But I, Chris Farley was hilarious. I don't know. I just, he, he was a funny guy. But, but, but here they are. They, they get into town, and they head down by the river, and they meet a woman named Lydia. Now, Lydia is not divorced. She does not live in a van down by said river. And I don't think she's 35 either. Lydia, it says, is a dealer in purple cloth. That sounds kind of shady, doesn't it? You got a lady dealing purple cloth down by the river? I mean, doesn't that make you go, there's something illegal going on here? 
I mean, that's the question that pops into my head is, what is this illegal purple stuff she's selling? Okay, it just sounds shady, but, but it's really not shady. I mean, she probably, I don't know, maybe she did well down by the river, but, but the thing is, is that this was the writer's way of saying that she was rich, okay? This was the writer's, writer's way of saying she drove a Bentley. This is the writer's way of saying she lived in Beverly Hills. She had a lot of money, and Paul and his buddies, they come up to this lady, and they tell her about Jesus, and she gives her life to Jesus, and then she does something extra crazy. She says, hey, why don't you come over to my house and stay with me? And when I hear this story, it tells us that she's married in the text, And so the thought that pops into my head is, what happens when she brings some dudes home that she met down by the river, okay? If my wife comes home with some dudes and she says, hey, I met these guys down by the river, I am thinking to myself, what's going on here? You know, what are you doing down by the river talking to these dudes? Okay, because I don't know, uh, okay, in Minneapolis, down by the river Lots of creepy things happened down by the river, okay? It was always on the news. It was where people went to hook up, okay? And so, so I'm thinking, I said, okay, you met these guys down by the river. That doesn't sound too good. What are you doing down by the river, Dana? You know, why did you invite them over? Are they going to kill me in my sleep so you can collect my insurance money and run away with them? I mean, these are the thoughts that are going through my mind if my wife shows up at my house with some dude she met down by the river. But, but Lydia's husband was a little bit more chill than this. I don't know if she maybe did this all the time. I mean, it's kind of weird, right? I mean, it's just really weird, but she, it, it, it all worked out because they come to the house and her husband and the rest of her family gives their lives to Jesus as well. And so things are going well for Paul and his team. They're staying at a nice house in the suburbs getting good meals and comfortable beds. So this must be the will of God. But they know that God called them there to, to tell people about Jesus, not live the comfortable life, and since they had such great success by going down by the river, they decide to make that the focus of their ministry, and so they head back to the river. Well, when they get back to the river, some crazy stuff happens, and we're going to pick up in uh, chapter 16, starting in verse 16, and we're going to read through verse 24, and this is what it says. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hopes of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them out before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they meet a slave girl. And this woman follows them everywhere saying, hey, these men know the way of salvation. And I mean, it sounds kind of like a good deal, right? Because you got this lady doing some extra preaching for you who isn't even a part of your group. But she's walking around saying, hey, these guys know about Jesus. These guys know the way to Jesus. This is how you get to Jesus. Well, the problem in this situation was this woman was demon-possessed. And the people 
that Paul was trying to minister to also knew that this woman was demon-possessed. They knew that she was out there. They knew that she was, she was kind of crazy. She had stuff going on in her life. And so, and so Paul, in letting this lady continually follow them and say, hey, these guys know about Jesus. They know about the way to salvation. What that was kind of communicating was that this lady was a part of this Jesus thing. And Paul was a little concerned about that because if you know anything about Jesus, Jesus is over there and demons are over there. They're not even on the same planet. They're not even in the same scope. They're not even on the same range, okay? Jesus and demons just don't go together and Paul did not want that association with him and his ministry. And so he became annoyed. How many of you have ever become annoyed? What annoys you? Maybe it's the person going 40 in a 65 in the left lane. Maybe it's the person that pulls up to a drive-thru at McDonald's and takes 10 minutes to order their food. What the heck? Everybody in America has the McDonald's memorized, okay? Anyway, one of the things that used to irritate me the most was when Walmart used to do their price-matching guarantees. And so there'd be those people that would go to every store in a 20-mile radius of their house and collect all of the ads, right? And then they'd go to Walmart, they'd get all their stuff in the cart, and they'd pull up to a register, and they'd check through, and then they'd break out the ads. And start paging through them with the cashier, pointing at everything, looking at the receipt, making sure that they got the right price on everything, okay? And they would spend like literally an hour and a half checking out. Okay, when I've gotten behind some of those people, I may have said some things that I wasn't supposed to say. Plus, you know how Walmart is, right? They've got like two registers open, you know, like 20 people in line. And so this just made it so bad. It used to annoy me. And it was like, also you can save 10 cents on your depends? What the heck? But where the problem comes in is that when we get annoyed, we don't make good decisions. I mean, I, th I think of... The, the thing that just happened last weekend, I don't know if you saw the video clip that happened over in Pasco County uh, of the guy running over the person on the motorcycle at a stoplight. Did you guys see that video? Don't know what happened that caused the car to just turn and run right over the motorcycle and take off, but something happened. The guy in the car, for some reason, got annoyed at this motorcycle, and he got so mad that he made this irrational decision to take his car and ride over the motorcycle. And I'm not saying that that's what all of us in this room are going to do, that we're going to get ticked off and drive over somebody on a motorcycle, but we just make bad decisions when we get annoyed. And that's what Paul does in this situation. He gets so annoyed that he turns around and he casts the demon out of this person, figuring, hey, the problem is solved. No, instead what happens is the wheels come off of his operation. Have you ever heard the term unintended consequences? Well, that's what Paul got. The men who owned the woman that they cast the demon out of got mad. They seized Paul and Cyrus, or Silas. They seized them, and then they dragged them across the city. How many of you are excited if somebody seizes you and drags you across the city? Is anybody ready to fight if somebody comes to seize you? I think most of us would be ready to fight. Willie's ready to fight. He's ready to fight now even though no one's seizing him. I'm just kidding, Willie. But it's not a good day when someone seizes you and drags you across town. Can we all agree on that? But it doesn't end there. They bring him before the judges. 
or the judge. And they accuse him, them, of all sorts of false charges. Okay, they are basically lied about to the magistrate. I don't know if any of you have ever had someone lie about you, but it's a really frustrating and aggravating thing because there are some people that are going to hear the lie, are going to believe the lie, and don't care if there's any evidence that contradicts the lie. They're still going to believe what they heard. And that's where, and so I'm sure Paul and Silas are, yeah, Silas are thinking to themselves, man, our ministry is kind of screwed here because everybody's believing this lie that's been told and nothing's going to change their mind. But the party isn't over. The crowd joins in in the attack. And so the judge orders them to be stripped and beaten. Sounds like fun, right? The beating they endured is called a flogging. Flogging is where you hit someone with a whip or a stick repeatedly. So after everything else they went through, Paul and Silas were flogged. But it says not just flogged, flogged severely. But there's still more to the story. After that, they get thrown in jail, but they weren't tossed in a jail cell. Uh, They weren't just tossed in a jail cell. It also says their feet were put in the stocks. Okay, and this is the type of thing that they were put in right here. Okay? So, Paul and Silas in a jail, chilling like that. But the Roman stocks are a little bit different than these ones that you see here. See, the Roman stocks had multiple holes for each person's feet. Because what they would do is they would put you in those first ones, and then when the jailer got bored, when the jailer figured, oh, you were too comfortable, there were extra holes. And so what he would do is he would take your legs out of those holes and stretch your legs a little bit further. And then if those holes got boring, he'd stretch them further. You could be sitting there doing the full splits with your legs, with your tendons and your ligaments and your muscles, just being pulled and torn. So your body is beaten up, you're bleeding and you're bruised and you're put in that thing. Your wounds are on very dirty, moldy, wet floor and your legs are being stretched. It was a very painful experience for Paul and Silas. I mean, this is the ultimate picture of being caged and really I don't think there are too many days that can get worse than the day that Paul and Silas had. Maybe this is a picture of how you feel in life. You feel trapped, you feel beaten. You feel bruised. You feel like you're sitting in a cage with no way out or no way of escape. It could be that way because the marriage that was supposed to go happily ever after has now become the nightmare on Elm Street. And you're saying to yourself, what do I do about this? How do I fix this situation? How do I remedy this thing? It could be your health. Maybe you've been a picture of health your whole life and everything's gone great. You just go to the doctor once a year. Well, suddenly, suddenly you you go to the doctor and you get this diagnosis and the diagnosis is not good and suddenly your health has become an issue and it's become something that's going to impact your life and you feel caged by that. Or maybe it's a sin that's gotten out of control and you want to be free from it. The sin has gone from something that was small to now it controls your life and keeps you in a cage that you don't think you can break free from. If you're in that spot this morning, I want to tell you that there is hope. And we can find that hope in the next verse that we're going to read. See, in verse 25, it starts off with the words, about midnight. And that's where our hope begins. So let's read verses 25 through 28 of chapter 16. It says, about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are here. And there are things that we need to see here. Three things in this text 
that can get us out of the cage of our circumstances. And the first one is this. Just because the wheels are coming off of everything doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. There are too many Christians out there that believe when you're doing what God wants you to do, everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's going to go smooth. It's going to be like you're driving down a highway that has just been freshly repaved. I mean, have you ever driven on one of those? It almost feels like your car is floating on the highway. But many times when we're serving God and doing what God wants us to do, it doesn't look like that. Many times when we're in God's will and doing what God wants us to do, the wheels come off at some point in time and everything goes crazy. And so the first thing is don't look for a way out when you're in that situation. Instead, what we need to do is we need to apply the next two things that I'm going to talk about to our lives in this situation. And the second thing I want to point out is this. Freedom from my circumstances begins when I focus on Jesus. See, never had any, never have any of the bad circumstances in life been changed by us focusing on them, okay, by us looking at them, by us thinking about them, by us saying to ourselves, oh gosh, my situation, it's so terrible, it's such a bad place, I'm such, you know, everything is so miserable, you know, I was sitting there saying to them, to us, man, I'm a good person, why is this happening to me, I know some people, there's a guy I work with, he's such a jerk, he deserves stuff like this, not me, And we focus on the problem and the situation. And when we think about the problem, when the problem consumes our thoughts, guess what happens? The problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And Jesus becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But when we focus on Jesus in those situations, guess what? The exact opposite takes place. Our problems get smaller. Because see, people who focus on the circumstances are victims, but people who focus on Jesus are victors in those situations. And I know when I say that, it sounds so easy and cliche, so the, problem be- or the question becomes, how do we do that? Well, we do it the same way Paul and Silas did it, by prayer and worship. Some of you are thinking, well, that's easy for you to say because you're not going through what I'm going through. If you were going through what I was, you wouldn't be saying that. So can we review Paul and Silas' situation one more time for you? They were seized, dragged, lied about, stripped, severely flogged, put in stocks in a jail cell. Does that compare to what's happening to you? Because I'm sure that Paul and Silas thought that this was the end. They were never going to leave that Roman prison, that they were going to die in that prison cell. I'm sure they had no thought of getting out. They thought that this was going to be the end of it. But when they got into those circumstances, they started praying and singing. And, you know, maybe we can get the prayer thing, God, get me out of this, but also the worship thing. You know, many of us think of worship, we think of Eden, band, lights, etc. no. Worship is when we go to God and we say, you know what, God? I don't control any of this. You are in control of all of this. You are the king. You are the Lord. And no matter what circumstances in life I find myself in, they're not going to hold me as prisoner because you are the one who sits on the throne of my life. It has nothing to do with music, but everything to do with the words that we speak. 
And so I want to drill down on that a little deeper and look at this a couple, uh, a couple of things I see in this text that are important to worship. The text tells us that other prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas. And the first thing is this. When you are going th- through things and you are a follower of Jesus, guess what's going to happen? Other people are going to be watching you. And they are not going to be followers of Jesus. These prisoners that Paul was in jail with did not follow Jesus. But they're going to watch you to see your response to being in the same cell that they are in, the same cage that they are in, to see if Jesus can make a difference in their situation. And if you are sitting in that same cell, in that same cage as they are, and you're griping and you're complaining and there's no hope found in God, the people are going to look at you and say, you know what? If the person who follows Jesus doesn't even have hope in Jesus, why should I have any hope in him? Because he can't do anything for me if he can't do anything for them. We need to set the example of what it looks like to walk through a dark time, what it looks like to go through bad circumstances and still be able to worship God. Then the next thing is this, don't let anything dictate your worship. I mean, jail can be a rough place, especially a place to break out in prayer and worship. You know, I mean, I don't think I'd do it if I was in jail, sitting there, hey, let's just praise and worship. You know, because there's some bad dudes in jail, okay? Dudes that would want to mess you up, dudes that would want to do other things, okay? And, uh, and so it'd be really hard to worship because it'd be scary. But see, let's move that question a little bit deeper. What about in this room? What about where we are here? Many times on Sunday, not many of us are engaged in worship. Some of you are probably thinking, well, that's, that's not who I am. I prefer to watch. Okay, let's move this over to, we're going to do a couple of examples here. Let's move this over to your kids. So your kids play in a sport, baseball, basketball, football, hockey, croquet. I don't care what sport, okay? And on a Saturday morning, your son or your daughter scores the winning touchdown, hits the winning RBI for the game. They score the winning goal. Are you just sitting there going, just here to observe? No, you're jumping up and down, and you're screaming, and you're excited, and you're trying to figure out what college is going to offer your child a scholarship because of how awesome they are. Or how about this? College football is coming up in a couple of months. Many of you have teams. Oh, I heard a groan already. You know what's coming. (laughs) Your team, they win, they score. Are you just observing? I'm just observing. Heck no. You guys are screaming at the TV. You're talking junk on Facebook. You're ready to fight anyone for any other team, okay? So the question I have is, why do we lie to ourselves and tell ourselves that's not who we are? It's who we are. We've just decided that Jesus is not going to get that, and we're going to reserve that worship for a game that has no importance beyond today. That cannot make a difference in our lives whatsoever, but investing, believing, pushing for things of the kingdom of God can make a difference now in our lives as well as those around us. Or how about I'm just not feeling it? Well, the other people are not worshiping. It's hard for me to get into it. I think it was easy to get into worship in a prison in the stocks naked after you've been beaten. And have I mentioned what their jail cells were like? Some of us have been in jails and prisons here in America. Nothing like that. 
First, their wounds from their flogging were not treated, so they had open sores on their body. Their cells were dark. They had no outside light. The floors were dirt. They're also usually underground, and because of that, damp and moldy. This one's the best one. There was no food or water. You had to have, you had to supply your own food and water if you were in a Roman jail. Okay? I mean, how do you do that? And then they only had two spots to go to the bathroom. And they were never cleaned or emptied. And so the jail always smelled like a porta potty in July in Florida, in the sun. Okay? And Paul and Silas, you saw the stocks that they were in sitting on the floor. Lockdown. They didn't come and say, oh, do you got to go to the bathroom? Let me let you out of that stock so you can go pee. No, they just had to go on themselves there in that spot. Okay, and, and nobody came along afterwards and cleaned up whatever was left behind by the previous prisoners. The suicide rate was high. Most prisoners begged for quick execution because it was such a miserable existence. So help me understand how we can't feel it. Of all the people who would not be feeling it, it would be these two. But they did anyway. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what's our excuse? Because if we can't feel it here in this comfortable environment, we're not going to feel it anywhere. And so if the worship team could come back up. The first thing, so I'm just going to just review here for a second. The first thing was that when we are where God wants us to be, it's not going to be easy. The second thing is in those places we need to focus on Jesus through worship. And then the third point is we have to believe that Jesus is greater than what we are going through. See, Paul and Silas believed that Jesus was greater than that situation they were in. That's why they began to worship. They were praying in the middle of this place. They were worshiping in the middle of this place because they said, you know what? We're in stocks. We're in a cell. Nobody knows really that we're here. But Jesus knows we're here, and Jesus is greater than this circumstance, and he can take us out of it. But we're smarter. We're more sophisticated we have more learning, and we know that Jesus isn't greater than every situation that we face, right? See, as long as we believe that Jesus cannot work in certain situations, guess what? Jesus is never going to work in those situations. And he cannot set us free from those cages that hold us. If you want to be free, believe that Jesus can set you free regardless of what any experience in life has told you. Pray and worship. And you know what? As we do that in our life and as we face those circumstances, those things that have us caged, the earth, like we read in the text, is going to begin to shake. The chains that are on us are going to begin to rattle. Things are going to move. And stuff is going to start breaking free from our lives. Now, it's not just going to happen one time, boom, instantly it's gone, it's over with. It's going to take time after time of going into God's presence and worshiping and praying and asking God to set you free regardless of the circumstances. But if you continue to push in, if you continue to believe, if you continue to seek him, you're going to see the freedom from the cage that you desire. But I want you to know worship is not just something that happens in here for 25 minutes on a Sunday or a Wednesday, okay? Worship is a lifestyle. It's standing in the face of a bad medical diagnosis and declaring, you know what? God is still my healer. 
You know, it's standing there in the midst of a sin that you've been battling and struggling with, and it doesn't look like you're going to get victory over it, and saying, you know what? Even though I'm not seeing victory, God has defeated this thing. Jesus has defeated this thing, and it is crushed. It is destroyed in my life. Focus on Jesus and believe that he is greater than whatever you are going through, and you're going to see those cages get set. You're going to open up, and you're going to be able to get set 